0: What I want to do this morning is almost like a drumbeat, a drumbeat that came out of two words from verse 1. It kept going over and over and over again in my head. Now, what I want you to do is look down at your own copy of Scripture, look at verse 1, and see if you can figure out which two words kept going through my head on late Thursday all through Friday. In my head, I kept hearing the drumbeat of no condemnation. No condemnation. It kept ringing over and over again in my head. And the encouragement that flooded to my heart as I said it over and over and heard it over again brought joy and a sense of spiritual strength in my life. And so I was telling the men at lunch yesterday, or at breakfast yesterday, that... uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to preach today, so what I decided to do is to carve out just verse 1, and I went back and looked at verse 1, because what I want us to do is to come away from looking at verse 1 today and do so with a great sense of joy, peace, boldness, and full assurance in your Christian life. These two words, I think, are the most, probably two of the most precious words in all of the Bible. Uh. These are words that we need to remind ourselves of daily, no condemnation. These are two words that should marinate in our heart to the point where we understand and appreciate and feel what it means for there to be no condemnation. These are two words that we need to shout out to the enemy. The next time he points his bony finger at you, and accuses you, and puts doubt in your mind, and causes you to, to question your salvation, you come back and you shout in His face, no condemnation. So this morning I want to pump the brakes on a little bit and slow down this, uh, this drive through the book of Romans and park a little bit here on, on chap- chapter 8, verse 1, and especially these two words, no condemnation. And my prayer is that God might take and cause this, these two words to resonate in all of our heads throughout the week, kind of like a TV jingle. You know, I was thinking back, some of you when you were kids, can you remember any TV jingles that you heard as a kid over and over and over again? And here you are, whatever age you are today, and they're still there. I mean, you wish you could just kind of, you know, put a faucet on and drain them out and get rid of them, but they're there. When I was a child growing up, there was Dr. Ross dog food. Does anybody know, ever, I I doubt if anyone ever heard of Dr. Ross dog food. And then there's the jingle, and it always ends, and Dr. Ross dog food is doggone good. And I remember that, and the whole song, I can sing the whole song, and there's a couple woof-woofs at the end of it. These are worthless words that are stuck in my head. They don't even make Dr. Ross dog food anymore. (laughs) You don't even know what it is, do you? So so my prayer is that God would take these two words, no condemnation, and place them in the vault of your memory and that it might might bring in the days ahead of your life, bring encouragement, hope, joy, uh, a sense of full assurance that only the Holy Spirit can bring in the comfort of His Word. Today we're opening up one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Now, I know I've said that same thing every chapter we've gone to. I always thought, you know, the 5th chapter, the greatest chapter in all of Romans. Then we got the 6th chapter, the greatest chapter in all of Romans. 7th chapter. Well, this really is the greatest chapter in all of Romans. You know, I was thinking maybe it's more like a it's a cascading of greatness that just starts at chapter 1 and it just gets bigger and bigger like a tsunami and it just floods our heart. But by the time you get to 8, though, this truly is one of the great the great chapters and we're going to look at one of the great verses of all the Bible today. Uh, and it's not great because it's more true than the rest of the Bible because what? All the Bible's true and all the Bible's the Word of God. What makes it this great is probably, over the history, how the saints have gone to this chapter. And you've gone to this chapter, I'm sure, in your life for encouragement, for instruction, for, for, I mean, there's so much in here we're going to be going through in chapter 8. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his commentary, he says, there is general agreement about this chapter, not only from the standpoint of interpretation, but in saying that it is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Surely this is one that is full of verses that many of us have memorized or have been blessed with. And he goes on and adds this, I agree with those who say that it is one of the brightest and most lustrous and flashing stones or collection of stones in the epistle of the Romans. And that of these, this verse is the brightest of the whole chapter. So this is quite a verse we're going to be looking at today. The central theme that's going to be running through chapter 8 is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so that, that's where we're going as we progress through, through chapter 8. But here, here's what's interesting. Remember as we got to chapter uh, uh, 7, uh, 6, 7, 8, uh, we're looking at the doctrine of what? No? Okay. You get a C. No. Yeah. C plus. No, we're in sanctification, right? We're in the, we're in the middle of sanctification. And uh, 7, 8, nine, 9, we're going into God's working with, with uh, Israel. But we're right in the middle of a section on sanctification. And here's what's fascinating to me. In this chapter, there is not one imperative. This is a chapter on how to live the Christian life. This is a chapter on how you live a godly life. Now, you would expect right in the middle of that section on on sanctification, there would be all kinds of imperatives saying, do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. Commands. There isn't one command in the 8th chapter of Romans. I don't know. I found that interesting. Uh, Instead, what you find is reference to the Spirit of God working in the life of of the believer. And it's His work in us. It's His work in us that produces Christ-likeness in our life. It's a life where He guides and He directs and He empowers. And we're going to see that throughout chapter 8. Now, this is just a quick review here so we can kind of put this in a bigger context of Romans. Do you remember where Romans opened up in chapter 1 where Paul sat down and wrote to us what his purpose was in even writing this book? Probably verse 15 says, I am... So I am eager. This is before I even started with the pen. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So what we have unfolding for us in the last seven chapters, and now we're beginning in chapter eight, is Paul unfolding his teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us, those in Rome, but also those of us here in Wyoming. And Paul begins unfolding the glorious gospel until eight one remember the great news? How many were here when we went through the first three chapters of Romans and how dark that was? Do you remember that? I mean, it was sin and sin and sin and condemnation and condemnation. And to the point where you got, you know, you got to finally, you got to chapter three around verse 21, I think it is. Then then you see the, the light begin to come in. And then comes the good news. But we sat here week after week after week and it's just, because he wanted us to know the sinfulness of sin. Well, what good is the good news if we don't understand the bad news and the sinfulness of sin? And so we, he, and, and how condemned we stand before God. But then come the section in, in Romans chapter 3 through 5. And, the, and, and there at the very end of 3 through 5, we have the great doctrine of justification by faith. And that's when the blinding light started to come up right off the pages of Scripture, right into our eyes. And wow, what wonderful good news this is. Verse 23, he says, For we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And and this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed; we, uh, he had passed from uh, the former sins. And so, what we have here is a declaration that then came Christ in his death on the cross, where he bore the wrath of the heavenly Father. He took the penalty on on his own shoulders. Our sin was placed to his account, and by trusting in him, by believing in him, your sins are what forgiven, and you have you're clothed in the, in, in the white. Righteousness of Jesus Christ and have right standing before God. So then we came to to chapter chapter six and began to look at the doctrine of justification or sanctification. You got me doing this, Cindy. Sorry, uh, sanctification and tempted to think you you become a Christian and automatically you're like Jesus. Isn't that you become a Christian, you, you trust Christ. Everything is just wonderful and you you become holy and and you're just a a holy person. But then we came to chapter 7 and we saw, wait a minute, that's not true, is it? That's not a right understanding of what a Christian is. Because Paul gave us an autobiographical picture of his own life. And this is a picture of warfare, conflict, uh, inner battle going on. He cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. I don't do what I want to do. And and I end up uh, doing... uh, what I'm not supposed to do. And, and he's so, you know, he falls into sin. This is the Apostle Paul. His testimony. And here's my life as a believer and I fall regularly, periodically and regularly into sin. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? And then he, you know, we got to the very end of chapter 7 and it almost looked like it was going to end on a high note. Do you remember that? In verse 25. It's like, well, I, I thank God through Jesus Christ, you know, there's victory. But we realize the victory he was describing was a victory that's going to come when you die, when you're glorified, and then you, you, you become like Jesus is, and you're face to face. But until then, in this life, in this in-between time, he finishes it by saying this, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin, Oh, that's a back, We're back in the now. are in the Valley of Sin again, and that's where he closed. And I'm glad that the Book of Romans didn't end there because he has transitioned right into Chapter Eight, Verse One. And there were no chapters and verses, but you can just see the flow of his thought. But from we just witnessed that normative Christianity is 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 a conflict, and I think most of us can identify with that as believers, can't we? I mean, it's it's a battle. Why do I sin? No matter how hard you try to stop, I still sin. And then I repent and I ask for forgiveness and I sin again. Now, it's when we're down in the area of sin, okay? We've yielded. We've sinned against God. So figuratively speaking, we're down. That's when the devil likes to come up and take his... Or his boot or sandal, I don't know what he wears, but he puts it on on our neck, and then he points his finger at us and says, "Now that I got you down, I'm going to get you out." And his goal is to get you to leave the Christian life altogether, to forfeit your salvation. And so he brings doubt and he brings questions into your mind. You're not a true Christian, but did you see what you just did? I mean, maybe He forgave you when you asked for forgiveness the first time, but He's not going to forgive you this time. I mean, Christ died on the cross, you believe that, and you act like this? And so, what does He want to do? And what do we do to ourselves sometimes? Bring ourselves back under condemnation. Back under guilt. And then defeat us while we're down. This is what he does. And what do you say when that happens? How do you respond when that happens? Well, praise the Lord. Romans 7 transitions into Romans 8, and we come across those two words. There's no condemnation. Two words. Let them marinate into your heart. No condemnation. And the good news is that we are now in a state of, of conflict, okay? We all agree with that. Till the day we die, we're in a war, we're in a conflict. But in the midst of this conflict and all the battles and every time we stumble and fall in sin, no condemnation. No condemnation. That's the Scripture speaking to us. And so let's look at verse 1 today. And uh, I broke it down the best I could as far as who, what, where, when, why. But notice verse 1 says, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the first, first point there was where. And by where, I mean where is, where is this verse connected? There's a therefore in there, so it's taking us back. So what, what is it that this verse is, is, is connected to? There is therefore now no by the way, it's easy to skim over those first few words, there is, therefore, now, no, and just go right to the no condemnation. But I want you to see this morning that every one of those words is very, very important to understand fully what Paul is saying here. We need to know what the therefore is there for. We need to know what the now is, re- is referring to. We need to know what the strength of that word no. Every one of these words is very, very important. And so the therefore, should we should stop. Whenever you see it, okay, hermeneutics, right? 101, you see a therefore, what do you do? You stop, and you ask yourself, what is it therefore, therefore? And you've got to figure out, what does it connect to? It's linking something before to what's being said now. Think of it as a biblical carabiner. And it wants to hook onto something before it. So you can see the connection between the two. And what is the, the connection that we have here? Well, how far back is Paul, Paul going to go with this carabiner? He's just going to go back one verse to the last verse of chapter 7, verse 25. In other words, is, is this no condemnation linked? Is he linking that back to what it means to be involved in a conflict and being under the power of, of sin. And he's telling us in light of that there's no condemnation. Or is he taking that carabiner and throwing it way back. Way back earlier in the book of Romans. All the way back to chapter 5. And verse 21. Uh, because what you have in 5.21 is the end of the section on justification by faith. And then, then you have six, 6 and 7 are kind of parathetical parenthetical uh, additions and so it could be that if he links it back to 521 that whole section there is that uh, verse 21 says so that as sin reigned in death and, great, and grace also reigned through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord there is therefore because of justification by faith no condemnation. Now is it So which one does it link to? Does it link back to verse 25 of chapter 7? Does it link back to uh, chapter 5, uh, as we saw here, verse 21? You know, I've got a stack of commentaries. You usually see them laying out on my table there at the house. And the good commentators are all over the board in answering that question. Uh, John Murray, I really like John Murray and his, his commentary He says no condemnation is closely linked back to chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, Paul is not dealing with justification, but with sanctification. What what Christ has done to deliver us from the power of sin. And then you come to someone like the doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who argues, no, no, this goes all the way back to that section that ends in, in chapter 5, verse 21. And uh, it has to do with justification. Because you're justified by faith, now for therefore there is no condemnation. And, 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 and then, of course, you sit there and you look at these, you read through all the opinions, the ideas, and then, then you've got to arrive at your own conclusion. And the conclusion that I arrived at is I, I can really see two carabiners here being thrown out. One that's going to link into 725, and the other one's going to go all the way back to 5, uh, chapter 25, verse 21. That the no condemnation, yes, does apply to being justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have no condemnation with God, period. But also in the sense that he just finished, almost didn't even complete the breath. He just finished chapter 7, verse, verse 25, and, and, and he's talking about uh, uh, the power of sin in, in, in the life of the believer. And it seems to go right into, and by the way, there's no condemnation in the midst of this battle that's going on. And so I really saw perhaps, you know, you can study this out on your own, but what I saw here was kind of a double carabiner and that, that the no condemnation applies to everything that God has done. The no condemnation, yes, certainly applies to being justified by faith. Therefore, there's no condemnation but also that we're, being ju- we're also being sanctified by the Holy Spirit in our life and we're involved in a spiritual warfare. But in the midst of that warfare and in the midst of the power of, of sin in our life, there's, there's still no condemnation. Christ's death brought no condemnation. And so we're freed from the penalty of sin. We're freed from the power of sin. Verse chapter 521 and chapter 725. So I want you to see, you'll see this worked out uh, later as we work through this chapter, why I arrived at this conclusion. But you see it really Paul developing, I think, this, this idea throughout the rest of the chapter. Then we look at the what. We saw where, now the what. Well, the what is, there's no condemnation. Uh, there is no condemnation. Remember I said that word no is important? You don't want to say, ah, the word two letters. It, it really is an important word. Uh, you can't skip over the no to get to the, to, the, to, the con, no, to the condemnation. Because in the Greek language, it's just a quick thought here. The Greek language, not only are the words important, not only is the grammar and the tense and all of that very important in understanding what a, what a verse says, the word order is important in the Greek language. So, like, where the no appears in our English verse or uh, sentence here is not where the no appears in the original Greek language. In fact, if you look at it, you find the no is the very first word in the sentence, the very first word in the sentence. And so, Paul's placement of no in the original Greek language is different than ours, and it's strategically placed there at the beginning of the sentence for a reason for Paul, to put no at the beginning makes it emphatic. It stresses it. You don't read this, and by the way, there is no condemnation. No, no. He doesn't want you to read it that way. He wants you to read this emphatically, and he says, and I want you to know there is no condemnation. He wants you to, he wants to hear that. The, the emphasis put on there's absolutely no condemnation. In case you think there might be a room for a little bit to creep in, what does the word condemnation mean? To be condemned means to be, uh, obviously, means to stand guilty for something. You're condemned. But in the Greek language, it's more than that. It's more than just being found guilty for doing something or not doing something. It's being found guilty plus receiving the penalty that goes with it. In other words, it's just not being found guilty and you waltz out of the courtroom. It's being found guilty and then now there's going to be a punishment attached, pronounced that goes with that. And that equals condemnation. Let me give you an illustration from our own, uh, our own criminal justice system where, you know, a person is found or is charged with murder. In most states, a person is charged with murder. Uh, it's a two-phase trial. The first phase of the trial is to see whether the person did it or not. Are they guilty or are they not guilty? And so then the jury comes back, and the, we say that the defendant is guilty of murder, but he's still not condemned. See, there's also a penalty phase that goes with that. And that's when some other evidence is brought in to decide, well, what kind of punishment is this guy going to get? And so when the, when the judge comes back after the second phase, and he solemnly stares the defendant right in the eye and he says, I hereby sentence you to be executed by lethal injection on August 1st. Now we have condemnation. You have guilt, plus you also have the penalty that goes with it. And so when when when, when we're condemned before God, it's more than just saying we have sinned against God and we're guilty of that sin. Condemnation also includes the pronouncement of the punishment that goes with it, which is death, which is the eternal wrath of God. So this is the picture of spiritual condemnation we see here. Every one of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned. So we're all guilty there. But also the Bible tells us because we have sinned, we also have had the penalty attached to all of us. And the penalty is the wages of sin is, is death. And yes, there's going to be a judgment day and a final court appearance before the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then all those who are who are guilty of their sins will be cast off into to eternal wrath of God. But today, everyone who's here today who Is without Christ is a sinner standing guilty before God and facing the wrath of God and His condemnation. And so that's why the Bible will clearly say that all those who who are without Christ are condemned. Every one of us at one time in our life was condemned. Uh, We're guilty. We're condemned. And so that means that uh, there's going to be a time for those who are condemned that they'll face the wrath of God forever. It'll be a just and righteous judgment that comes from the Holy God. And without Christ today, you are condemned before your Creator. And listen to what Paul's saying here. He says, but now there is what? No condemnation. And these two precious words should ring in our heart. For us today, there is no condemnation. There's no. You're freed from sin. You're, you're freed from the guilt. You're freed from the penalty. You're freed from the power of sin. There's no condemnation. We say, well, who does that apply to? Because as we, we, we read about the Bible, we see that we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We're all condemned. So how is it that some here seem to say that there are those who... There's no condemnation. So who is he talking about here? Notice he adds, for those who are where? In Christ. We saw earlier, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. If you're in Adam, by nature, uh, by birth, he's your federal head. Uh, He he sinned, you sinned. Remember how that worked? He died, you died. It's all imputed to you. He's condemned, guess what? You're condemned. All the human race in Adam is condemned. But those who are in Christ. He's our federal head as well. And and, and so now, as believers, as our federal head, uh, He died for our sins. And He's alive, and we're alive. And He's paid the penalty, and we are forgiven. I'm glad there's another Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He bore the wrath for us, He, He took the curse for us that all that would flee to Christ and trust in Him and believe in Him are not condemned. No condemnation. good verse on that is John 3.18 that says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Pretty clear. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. To all of you who are here without the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know, all of your hearts. God does. Hopefully you do. But to be here today sitting in these chairs without the Lord Jesus Christ, without being in Christ, without believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, I can't say it any any softer or, or stronger way than this. There's no more dangerous place you could be than to be here today condemned before God. There is none. You have sinned against God. God's gonna—he's your judge. You will be eternally judged. You're gonna hear His voice one day say something like this: "Depart from me, you worker of iniquity," and and go to the place that's prepared for the devil. For the devil. And you're gonna hear the wailing. You're gonna hear the gnashing of teeth. You're gonna feel the, the the sense of 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 the fires of hell. And you're going to experience what it means to be in eternal darkness. Uh, The flames of the lake of fire. If you're here without Christ, without faith in Christ, he says you're already condemned today. You're, You're condemned now. It's not you're going to be condemned, you are condemned. This is your future. And so the Bible would tell you today to run to Christ, flee to Christ. Flee to Christ with a heart ready to receive Him, to trust in Him, to believe in all that He's done, to serve Him as your King, your Master, and your Lord. He's the one who's bore the wrath for the sins of all of His people. He's paid the price. So come, believe, and repent. And if you do, here's the good news. You're going to find yourself in Romans eight one, And you're going to hear the words, no condemnation anymore. What a blessing. And more than that, notice the when. When does this no condemnation take place? And he says, now. All who are in Christ, now there's no condemnation. Is that an important word, you think? Now? I mean, think of it was. Then or later, or it was, or what, but now, now there's no condemnation. I mean, you could have said, Well, the day that you pass from this life and you're about ready to breathe your last breath, well, then there'll be no condemnation. Or, you know, there was no condemnation the day you believed in Christ and you were first saved, but that was then and this is now. No, now there's no condemnation. And I was thinking about it as I was meditating on that this week, and I said, you know, there's, there's always going to be a now in our life, isn't there? I mean, I say now, now, it's already past tense because I just said now. But there's a new now. I mean, it's always now. And that, that now is going to continue all the way th- for eternity. So there's no gaps. There's no break in God not bringing condemnation to those who are in Him. There will always be no condemnation. And these two words, no condemnation, need, you need to sink your spiritual teeth deep into those two words. No condemnation. And I believe this, to remember these two words, uh, have failure to remember these two words have caused many a professing believers to struggle and to fret in their Christian life. And maybe you're one of them. I know because there, there, there's times where we all go through these times of Discouragement, spiritually speaking, depression, spiritually speaking, and how many times you you're tempted to say, "I'm going to throw the towel in on this Christianity." It's guilt and condemnation that the enemy likes to just heap on us, and we like to heap it on ourselves. We're real good about putting ourselves back under condemnation because that robs us of any hope. It brings defeat. It brings a weakened state of the Christian life. It brings a spiritual depression, discouragement, despair, hopelessness. So you can see why these two words are absolutely so important. Let me just share. I've shared this individually with some of you, but it's such a graphic illustration of what Paul's saying here. A young lady that came to our uh, singles conference probably about 15 years ago, might have been even longer than that, but uh, in, in Powell, she had a very hyper critical view of her, her sins so that she, she never felt forgiven. She was a dear young lady. She, she, uh, she believed that she was forgiven by Christ, she was trusted in Christ. But every time she committed the smallest of sins, she lost any sense of, she felt condemned, she felt guilty. And it's just the weight was on her all the time, feeling the guilt and the weight and the condemnation of one sin after another because you can't go through a day without sinning. I mean, she knew well Romans 7. She lived out Romans 7 in her life. She's only here for about a week. We got to know her. But she never was able to grasp Romans 8.1. Now, no condemnation. In fact, the weight was so heavy on her that she she left, went back to the Dominican Republic, and the week that she was home, she took her life. Well, from the weight, the guilt of condemnation in her life that she could not get free of, and the reason why she couldn't get free of it is because for whatever reason, by God's grace, she could not understand these two words, no condemnation. These are important words because we've been there. We've we've felt this. As we saw last week in Romans 7, if you're trusting in Christ, the war is going on. There's conflict. but Praise the Lord that even in the midst of that conflict, even when you're getting whipped around and maybe fall down in sin, you know the, the response is no condemnation. Now, you say, well, okay, this is Paul speaking, right? Yes. And uh, you say, but Paul might say that for himself. But for me, he doesn't know how wicked my sins are. I, I mean, my sins next to Paul, I mean, he was not speaking about my situation. He didn't know the level of wickedness that's in my life when he says there's no condemnation. Paul didn't have the internet. Paul didn't struggle with online pornography. Not like I do. But when he says all that are in Christ, does all mean all? I mean, you go on and read, Paul talks about himself autobiographically in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full accept, acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then what's the rest? You can fill in the blank, right? Whom I am the... Chief. Depending on your translation. Chief, foremost. I'm at the front of the line. All the other sinners in the world are behind me. I'm, I'm number one in the line. And guess what? There's no condemnation. That means whatever sin you are caught up in as a believer in Christ, if you are in Christ, you're behind Paul in the line. And his, his decree of no condemnation... Applies to every one of us in line with Him, no matter what sin you've committed. Rather than defeat and despair, you've been justified once and for all by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, today, in whatever's going on in your heart right this minute, there's no condemnation. You've been freed from the guilt of your sin, you've been freed from the penalty of sin. And so I believe these two words are probably two of the most encouraging, comforting words in all of the Bible. These are words that you need to remember on your deathbed. Unless God just suddenly takes you out and you don't have time to be on your deathbed. But that's the time when you're thinking about your life and that's what you're thinking about What's What lies ahead? And I was a Christian and I, I believed in Christ, but I'm getting ready to die. I wonder if I'll make it into heaven. These two words should come back to your heart and it should be loud in your mind. No condemnation. I can put my head on the pillow and if the Father takes me into the presence of Him, right now I'll be with Him and I can rest in that. How glorious it is to remember you are in Christ now, and there's no condemnation. My application to you would be to preach these words, these two words to yourself every day of your life. Because if not, you'll forget them. and You'll be back under the condemnation. You'll feel the condemnation that the devil or yourself puts on you. Preach these words to yourself daily. Shout these words when the devil comes to you with that bony finger, and he'll do that, and he'll accuse you what did Jesus do? He spoke right in the face of the enemy. And when he spoke in the face of the enemy, he quoted scripture. And what's one scripture you could quote to him when he says throw in the towel? You can say no condemnation. And he'll leave. And meditate on these words. Let them marinate. Pray on these two words. You know, I don't know how long God's going to give me on this earth. I don't know whether it's short, whether it's today, a couple more years, five years. I have no idea. Here's my prayer for you. Most of you in this room are going to probably way outlive me. And you're going to look back at some preacher that was at Redeeming Grace Church. And, oh yeah, it was Don or something. I can't forget what his name is. I can't remember a sermon he preached, you know. I I know he's preached every Sunday, but I can't remember... Here's my prayer. Would you remember this one? Would you remember a two-word sermon that if you can think of nothing else that Don Thomas ever preached from this pulpit after I'm long dead and you're still here on on this earth, you can say, no condemnation. It's going to ring in your head till the day that you die, until the day that God calls you into his presence. You know, I was trying to think of a good application for this. This is what I came up with, something a little different, but, you know, Charles Wesley, uh, on the anniversary of his conversion, he, you know, he, he's a guy who writes, got to write a song, got to write a hymn, you know, praise God for what he's been doing in my life. And and so on, he wrote the, the, the amazing hymn, um, it's not amazing love, it's, and can it be? And can it be? It's uh, I love I love the hymn. But he used this hymn to express his joy, and delight, and assurance that he had once God saved him. And verse five opens up with Romans chapter eight verse one: "There is no condemnation." Let's stand. Let's sing this together. The verse five, and let God applaud.